Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. We've been going through the Bible the entire year, book by book, and today we're going to continue, Uh, but I want to pray before we start, because you could be anywhere. You could be on the beach today. Those of you watching, uh, the same way, God placed you here and put it on your heart to come, so we're going to ask the Lord to speak to you. Holy Spirit, come, fall fresh. Lord, you say in the last days that you will pour out your spirit on all flesh. And Lord, as we go into these next two books, Lord, I pray that you will speak personally to every person in this room. Lord God, that you would soften the ground, just like the rains last night softened the hard ground and and new life can spring up from that soft ground. Lord God, I pray that the seed of the word will be planted in soft ground today. And Lord, will bring forth new growth in every person. No person will leave the same way they came in today. And in Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Hallelujah. Well, today we continue the books of the Bible, and we're starting a brand new section, and that's called the Minor Prophets, the Old Testament Minor Prophets. And I wanted to review to you just what a prophet does, just so that you remember, you recall the major prophets. Uh, They spoke or they proclaimed God's word, and they did this by speaking and teaching That's one way that a prophet speaks. He receives a message from God. God gives it to him, and then he speaks it to the audience, to the people. He can do that by proclaiming. He can also do it in a different way through prediction. Now, we're used to prophecy when we think of the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. That's prophecy about the very near future, it could be. And that was what a lot of the Old Testament prophets did. They spoke about impending judgment and invasion by foreign armies and also future prophecy about the end times, such as the book of Joel that we're going to get into today. A few weeks ago, uh, Jen spoke and talked about Ezekiel. And sometimes prophets will speak through demonstration demonstrating strange things to bring their point across. Like Ezekiel, I mean, he had to cook his meal with manure. He had to cut his hair in three, uh, cut his hair and divide it in threes and then scatter it and burn it and do crazy things. Jeremiah had to walk around in his underwear, then take the underwear and bury it by a river. All of this had a message that God wanted communicated. And it's a lot like a a tower. You think about a a radio tower, right? The radio tower receives the, the waves, right? And then it transmits the message. That's what a prophet does. He receives from God and then transmits it in many different ways. 
Now, we're going to, this new section is called the Old Testament prophets. There's 12 of them. And I remember when my kids were little, we learned a little song, and I'm going to try to do it. Hosea, Joel, Lamus, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And that's the way that I still, when I'm going through the books of the Bible, it's like, where is Haggai? And I know where to find it after I sing that song. But there's 12 of them. But I want you to understand, when we think of minor, we think of like, you know, like the minor leagues, something a little less than the major leagues, right? Or we think of minor surgery. You might have minor surgery. Uh, it's not as serious as something that's major. Um, but the Old Testament uh, minor prophets, it's not less of a message. It's not inferior to the major prophets. It's only talking about size. Now, think of it like this. Espresso is just a little cup of coffee, right? But it packs a wallop. And we know a regular cup of coffee, it doesn't have as much of a punch. I think of my own Italian grandmother on the Italian side. She was 4'11". How tall are you? 4'11", okay. So that's, we could, and she was a powerful lady. I mean, she had six sons, two daughters, and she knew how to keep them all in line. She packed a punch. Well, these messages are powerful even though they're short. Now, today, we're going to start with Hosea. That's the longest one. Um, there are 14 chapters. But keep in mind, it's, it's the message. It's powerful. So a little bit of background during this time of Hosea. Uh, the people of God were not practicing Judaism according to the law of Moses. They started to blend things with the nations that were around them. And, you know, sometimes I do a wedding and I'll have clay and I'll have yellow clay and blue clay. And the illustration is when you're married and you put together, the two become one. And when you mix the clay, it becomes green, something entirely different. It's a good thing when you're married because God ordained that. But when you try to blend God with the surrounding heathen uh, worship Uh, many of them worshiping Baal and sacrificing their children. You mix that together, even if it's just a little mixture, it's still tainted and contaminated. And that's what the people of God were like at this point. Now, some quick facts that you'll see behind me about the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet mainly in the northern kingdom. And uh, his ministry spanned 40 years, four decades of him speaking to the people and proclaiming God's word. And uh, it fell on deaf ears in, in in a lot of ways. But during this time, Israel was prosperous. I mean, things were going great. The economy was great. But morally, like I said, they were bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, until the death of Jeroboam II. And after he died, things declined rapidly. Israel was too complacent, and they forgot about God. Now, essentially, his whole 40 years was warning the people to return to God. And the book of Hosea, like I said, it's the longest 
of the books of the minor prophets. It's divided into two parts. The first part deals with Hosea personally and his wife Gomer. And the second part deals with God and Israel. So I want you to see, and there's a character switch right in between. And it's really a heartfelt message by a heart-sick prophet about a heart-sick, heart-broken God. Now, Hosea was a prophet around the same time as Isaiah. But his message, I mean, what he had to do was not so great. I mean, think about it. Isaiah got to see the throne room of God. I mean, beautiful things. Ezekiel, remember a few weeks ago? He got to see the valley of dry bones come alive. Daniel, he got to interpret dreams. He got to sleep with some friendly lions and see God's work there. Jonah saw thousands of people give their lives to the Lord. But Hosea, the prophet today, he got to marry a prostitute and have kids. That was his assignment. And God was saying, Hosea, I want you to speak not just through words, but through your life. I want you to communicate to my people clearly what I'm feeling. And you're going to take part in this reenactment, this play. Hosea, you're going to represent me. And your wife is going to represent Israel. And in essence, what he says is, just as she will prostitute herself on you, commit adultery on you, just like she's going to do that, the nation of Israel has been doing that to me over and over and over again. So let's start. Let's look in chapter 1 of the book of Hosea. Chapter 1. We're going to dig into the word a lot today, okay? Because the word speaks. I'm just a human vessel. So chapter 1. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And Gomer conceived again, and she gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to her, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show my love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. And after she weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, and then the Lord said, call him Lo-Amin, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. You know, do you know what this means? I know, it's like I've had enough. I'm up, overfilled. God has had enough at this point. So Hosea was instructed to marry this woman, knowing that she was going to, in his domestic life, he was going to experience this dramatic 
uh, enactment of the sin that God himself feels. So uh, the first son, Jezreel, that name means judgment is coming. How would you name, like to name your kids? Jezreel. Judgment is coming. Lo Ruhamah means not loved or no mercy. And the last one means not my people. When your wife, God was saying, when your wife commits adultery, you're going to experience the same pain that I experienced. Isn't that amazing? When you think that God can experience pain, it grieves him when we're unfaithful. So in chapter 2, we see a character switch. We see what happens is God is talking about Hosea and his wife. And remember a few uh, weeks ago when I was talking about poetry in the Bible? Poetry, a lot of times God uses metaphors to stand for one thing, but you're implying another. So here we see God, it starts out where he's talking to Hosea about his wife, but then we see it's God who's the injured husband. Let's look in in the beginning of chapter 2. I'm going to read right from the word. Hallelujah. Say to your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one, rebuke your mother, rebuke her. She is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I would strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her speech like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than I am now. The Lord said, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain and the new oil who lavished her with silver and gold, which they used to worship Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens, my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons and Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them as a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. Now, if this is talking about the wife who went astray, who everything that he provided for her, Hosea, she rejected, and, and worshipped and went after other men. We would think he was absolutely uh, okay if, it was, if he divorced her. According to the Levitical law, he had every reason to divorce her. And yet, look what happens when we see that God is talking about unfaithful Israel. We see in this verse, 
Verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There, I will give her back the vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Hallelujah. Verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth to you in righteousness and in justice, in love and compassion. Verse 23, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. See, God had every right to divorce them, to set them aside, to start with a new people. And yet, in his mercy, we sang about that today, his mercy and his love in face of their rebellion, God was saying, I'm going to restore you. Now, it talked about future restoration that was near, but it's also referring to the future restoration in the end times, eschatological times when Jesus would come again. It's also a foreshadow for us. None of us in this room, with the exception of my husband, who was born a Jew. Any other Jewish people here from Jewish descent? Well, none of us were God's people, God's chosen people. All of us were sinners. We were Gentiles. And none of us would be uh, part of this you know, race. But the foreshadow of what God is saying, you are my people. I want you to look in 1 Peter chapter 2, what God says. You were once not a people, but you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Romans 9.25 says, even us whom he also called, not only the Jews, but also us from the Gentiles. And here Paul is quoting from the book of Hosea. Hosea says this, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. So what does this speak to us today? We've rebelled, all of us. We were born in rebellion. We were born in sin. And God is saying, I want to restore you. I can reverse that course that you're on. I can replace the judgment with blessing. You know, there's a big ask in the next chapter. God asks something huge of Hosea. Now think about it, husbands. If your wife was unfaithful to you, how would you feel? Think, put yourself in Hosea's shoes. And here's what God asks him to do. He says, I want you to go back. I want you to illustrate how I want to go back to fallen Israel. Chapter 3 says this. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man as as an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. 
though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That's the worship uh, with the temple gods. Uh, So I bought her. He buys her for 15 shekels of silver. That's half the worth of a man. Now, when you think about it, even the slave owners, because this was at a slave trade, didn't even think she was worth anything. So he goes back, he buys her, and he uh, adds a homer and a half of barley. And he says to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. See God's mercy, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's faithfulness. Even though Gomer represents us, how foolish we are when we stray from him. You know, maybe Gomer thought Hosea was overly strict. He was oppressive. He was keeping her from the pleasures of the world. And she went out there in the world to find that happiness. That's all she cared about. And what did she find? She found slavery. She found a situation worse than what? Much worse than the love of Hosea. Gomer might have been looking for personal happiness, but she ended up cruel confines of slavery. And that's the same way it ends for every one of us who decides to go our own way. We think, you know, God is too strict. Uh, You know, I I can't follow his ways and do it his way. I, I need to go out in the world and, you know, see what it has to offer me. But it always, always leads to slavery and discontentment and misery. I remember before I met the Lord, looking in the rearview mirror of my car and looking at my face. I mean, everything was going great, according to the world. I had a good job. I had Everything was great. But I looked in the mirror and I said, God, so ugly. There's got to be more. Got to be more. When you're enslaved by the world, you're never happy, never content. But that place of despair that Gomer was in, she didn't remain there, did she? She was brought back. And that place of despair that you might be in, maybe right now that you're experiencing, you don't have to stay there because God made a way to buy you out of slavery, but it cost him much more than shekels of silver. It cost him the precious blood, sinless blood. And he loved you so much. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. But here's a Jesus moment in this chapter 3. It says in verse 4, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince. Remember, we're talking about prophecy. Without sacrifice or sacred stones, even to this day. Without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the Israelites will return, seek the Lord their God, and David their king. They will come trembling before the Lord to the blessings in the last days. We're going to get into what that word last days in the next book. 
But here, who's it talking about? David the king that the Jewish people are going to come to. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the Jesus moment in the book because David was already dead 250 years. It was referring to the restoration that God would bring. Of course, the next of the book, the, the next chapters of the book talks about specific sins that the people of Israel were committing. Uh, they were into idolatry and pride. They were unrepentant. And even God was warning them through this prophet Hosea that punishment was coming. Verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. That word hear means listen, hearken. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There. Think about the United States of America when I'm reading this list. Think about the state globally of the world, right? Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. This is what was happening in Israel. And we see it happening here in our own nation. No acknowledgement of God in the land. As a matter of fact, God is kicked out. He's kicked out of education. He's kicked out of uh, government. In every sphere of influence, the enemy is trying to kick him out. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him, and you are that standard. You who are walking in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want to read a few verses here um, from this chapter. Chapter 4, it says, Let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against the priest. In other words, everybody's blaming the priests for the condition. Everybody is not taking personal responsibility for what they are supposed to be doing. They're blaming it on the priest. It's the blame game, the same blame game that was happening in the garden. Verse 5, it says, You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you, so I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Stumble day and night, and your prophets, your prophets who are supposed to be hearing from God and communicating that message, they're not hearing from God. So they're not hearing the message. You know what it says? My people perish for lack of knowledge. That word knowledge means relationship. It's the same word in Genesis where it talked about Eve, Adam and Eve knowing one another. It's that intimate relationship that God wants with us. It's the only way we could hear and receive from him. The people lack that, that knowledge. So they're perishing. They're not listening. The next verse says, because you have rejected knowledge, not only are they not listening, but there's no hunger and thirst. They're rejecting it. They don't even want it. They go everywhere else for wisdom. But here, it says, because you have rejected knowledge, I also rejected your priests 
because you have rejected the law of your God, I also will reject your children. In short, this is a warning. How important it is for us to be in the word, to know God's truth, to be able to communicate that to the next generation, to our children and their children. You know, despite the temptations in the world, despite what culture says is okay, there's things that the world accepts out there. It's not okay, according to God's word. You know, just because you might be ignorant of the word doesn't mean you're not going to be held accountable. You might be ignorant of the law of gravity, but if you jumped off a 10-story building, you're going to still suffer the effects of that law. Amen? You don't know the law, you're still going to suffer the effects of not knowing the word. And there's no excuse. God made it available in every language, even on your phone. How many hours do you spend on your phone? Check it out later. How much time you spend? How much time do you spend in the word? To know him, to have a relationship with him. Verse 7 says, the more the priests were, the more they sinned against me. What does that mean, the more the priests, the more priests were? They were no longer consecrated men. Every person could become a priest. They could all go and worship and uh, false gods and, and uh, be part of the Baal worship. It became a common thing. God doesn't want us to have a common relationship. He wants us set apart for him, for his purposes. And here's something in verse 7 and verse 8. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people. They relish their wickedness. In other words, they wanted to minister to what the crowd wanted. They were more worried about the applause of people than the approval of God. They feed on the sins of my people. They relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both them for their ways. I will repay them for their deeds. They will eat and not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish uh, because they have deserted the Lord. Because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, old wine and new wine, Take away their understanding. In other words, the people now became enslaved. They were so calloused and so conditioned by the culture that they didn't even recognize that they were compromising. It says, my people consulted a wooden idol. A diviner's rod speaks to them. The spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They're unfaithful to God. Like I said before, they were seeking wisdom and direction from everywhere but God. You go into the bookstore and you'll find sections on self-help and spiritual issues. And we see the God sections shrinking. And we see this worldly section growing. God talked about enslavement, the wine. They become captives. Verse 12, this spoke to me 
loud and clear. They sacrifice on mountaintops. What happens on the mountaintop? You can see it from a distance. You see a light on a hill, you can see it from miles away. You see a tower on a hill, you can see that tower. I know Christmas lights, sometimes people put up. There's a cross on Route 80 in the mountain. You can see that cross way up there. When it's on the mountain, it's meant to be visible. So think about this. They sacrifice on the mountaintops. They burn offerings on the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth. These were shameful acts. These temple goddesses, there would be acts of prostitution right on the mountaintops for all to see. And I thought about this. The parades that proclaim freedom for certain groups of people in their pride, shameful acts out on the mountaintops, which is totally against God and his way. Shameful acts, protests, things that are out in the open. It's exactly the same. These locations were meant to really, in their idolatry and pride, to proclaim their allegiance to the false gods. And that's the same thing that's happening in our streets. It says, therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and their daughters in law to adultery. I will punish, I will not punish, listen to this, I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters in law when they commit adultery, because the men, I want everybody to say, the men. Yeah. The men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice to the shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. See, what God is saying is the men, you're supposed to be the head of the household. And here you're setting this example. You're, you're consorting with harlots. And the heaviest, the heaviest punishment today is going to fall on the men. Because you're accountable. The umbrella of God's Protection falls on the man first and then the woman. Chapter 5, there's one verse I want to read to you. One verse jumped out at me. Verse 10, Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. What's he saying? Not only the priests, but he's talking about the leaders. Uh, When we think of our leaders, I mean, we think of our, you know, politicians, okay? But they were accused of moving boundary stones. You know, boundary stones in, in the Old Testament were very important because they divided up property. And if you moved boundary stones, you were essentially stealing property from somebody else. And see, the leaders were moving boundary stones, but spiritually as well. And I think of that today, our leaders, they're moving the spiritual boundary stones. They're saying things that are okay that are not okay. They're moving the stones. I mean, I can name the sins. It's just because the leaders are approving of laws that say something and some behavior is okay. It's not. They're moving the boundary stones, and judgment will come. It says right here in this verse, 
I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. But there's some beautiful moments. I don't want to just leave you with wrath. Uh, There's some beautiful moments throughout the book of Hosea. In chapter 6, it talks about it. Verse 1, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he has bound up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press in to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like water, like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. See, it reminds me in the book of Acts, uh, Luke writes, repent when he's talking to the people who, who have been quickened in their heart. They heard the word and they, they, they felt so convicted. And he said, repent then. And return to the Lord your God so that your sins will be wiped out and times of refreshing can come. How refreshing it is for the winter rains and the spring rains to fall upon the earth and to bring new life and green. How green it is in the springtime when those rains come. How would, your li- how would you like your life to reflect that newness again? It comes with repentance. But sadly, Hosea's message, for the most part, was ignored. I mean, there was a decisive moment in chapter 11 where God says he's going to rain his blessing on Israel. But there was no response from the people. The nation was so disposed and it was so ingrained in them, the things of the culture that they became insensitive to God's voice. And God warned them. And they did get into exile because of their disobedience. But the book ends with a tearful plea. God is speaking for the people to return. And like most of the minor prophets, uh, God promises restoration to their rebellion. And he promises the same for us individually. He promises the same for us when we come and repent, that he will restore us and renew us. Chapter 14, the end chapter, says this, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. You know, when God repeats himself, he really wants your attention. What's that word he's repeating? Return. Return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. God's saying, I want to hear your your words, but they have to be sincere, heartfelt, genuine. He says, I will heal your waywardness. That's your backsliding. And love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar 
of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. So Israel is invited to repent. And with repentance, they're invited to be obedient to his word. God is offering us the same thing, the same acceptance, the sacrifice of our lips to the Lord. He promises to heal you of all your hurts and your moral failures. He promises salvation. You know, just like Hosea and Gomer, Gomer received this unconditional love from Hosea. She didn't deserve it. It wasn't a happy ever after ending. It maybe wasn't even reciprocal. Maybe she didn't even return the love that he gave Gomer. But nonetheless, he gave her that unconditional love, and that's how God is with you. You cannot stray far enough away from him. You cannot do anything so terrible where he will not buy you back from that slave auction and forgive you. Times of refreshing will come when you repent. Now, I want to go into the next book, the book of Joel, and we'll summarize in the end. The book of Joel, some quick facts. Joel was a prophet to the southern kingdom, and the time period was really uncertain depending on the commentary you read, so I put some question marks there. The majority of them feel it was between 835 and 800 B.C., But the major theme of this short book, only a few chapters, is the day of the Lord, the warning of impending judgment that was soon to come, and also judgment in the end times on the day of the Lord. The main quote of this book, of course, I know, you know, everybody thinks about, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters and and that in the last days. That that is a major scripture we're going to go over. But the one that caught my eye, which is in line with Hosea, is this verse, rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, when the people of God were were grieving um, before God, they would tear their garments to show how genuine they were. But he's saying, I don't want just that outward show. I want you to do that in your heart. So talking a little bit about this book, a little background, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord um, historically happened among the people. Uh, There was massive destruction because of a locust plague that was sent. It was a lot like what happened in the plagues of Egypt, only this time it happened to the people of God. Economically, they were decimated. Uh, Agriculturally, they were uh, decimated as well. So the overriding theme of this book is the day of the Lord. And a lot of the Old Testament prophets, especially Daniel, use this term. It's a term about something that would happen very soon, the near future, but something that would happen in the very distant future. 
Six times this day of the Lord is referred to as the day of doom, the day of vengeance, the day of wrath, the day of visitation, the great day of almighty. But this day, on this day, whatever the title, it talks about the attributes that God will show, his wrath, his power, his holiness, the terrifying judgments from God because of the overwhelming sinfulness of the world. It's a terrifying day for God's enemies. And this message that Joel is speaking doesn't just apply to them. It applies to every age. So again, we see in chapter one of Joel, the second verse, hear this, you elders, listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days? or in the days of your forefathers. See the gravity of the situation, the seriousness. He wanted their undivided attention. Here, listen, because what just happened might have looked like this video that you're about to see. That's what happened to Israel. Verse 3, tell, tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to the generation and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. We're talking about eggs. 20 years they stay underground. Who told those eggs to hatch? Whose breath? at this time, directed these locusts. It was the breath of God, and he brought judgment. It was a symbol, it was a metaphor of what was about to happen to them with the army of Assyria. But here in history, this just happened. This is a demonstration of what happened. And he says, don't let your gen- the generations that follow forget this. Verse 5, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion and fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines, ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it away, leaving their barks white. Verse 10, the fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely, the people's joy is withered away. See, where every area socially and economically was affected by this plague. We, th- we, we look at this, even the people that were just after pleasure drinking wine, they were affected. The priests, they couldn't offer offerings any longer. They couldn't worship. The farmers who planted and cultivated were devastated 
economically. The luxuries of life were withdrawn. Everything that was needed snatched away. I mean, to lose wine and not have the enjoyment of wine is one thing, but not to be able to worship the Lord and offer offerings. And, and later on, it says, nothing to eat. That's the sentence of death. It says, human joy vanished. It departed from every segment of society. Terrible locust, severe famine, devoured the land. And Joel uses this as a warning to the people that unless they repent quickly and completely, the army is going to come from Assyria and they're going to devour the land and destroy everything in it just like these natural elements did. And he appeals to everyone, fast, humble yourself, seek God's forgiveness, and he will give them a renewal, spiritual blessings. But Joel is warning them the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, if you don't heed the warnings, what you saw happening, it's going to look like gnats compared to what Assyria is going to do to you, devastate you. So in the next chapter of this short book, he talks about a transition again. The word today is about repentance. Verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as was never told, nor ever will be in the days to come. Before the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys him. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? None of us can endure the judgment from the Lord. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks about the signs of the time before his coming. And he said, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, but will receive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And immediately after those things, the sun, here it is, the same thing that Joel said, 
The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So before the day of the Lord, these signs that are showing us that it's so near, deception by false prophets and leaders, war, chaos, famine, economic collapse, abomination and death, martyrdom. I don't know, we don't feel it here in this country, but more Christians are martyred today in modern times than ever in the course of history. And of course, celestial signs in the heavens. I mean, we look at current events, just look at current events and think of this list. Economies are collapsing. Sri Lanka, which was, you know, a booming nation. Uh, If you look at a lot of your shirts, you see made in Sri Lanka. You know that the... Uh, they, the prime minister dis, just declared national bankruptcy. Economies are failing. The Polish farmers are revolting. The prime minister was assassinated. The war in Ukraine, the Abraham Accords are now being amended to make concession for a two-nation state, which was never God's will, dividing the land. The devaluation of the dollar, the euro, The worldwide effects of this pandemic, economically, just look at the signs of the times. Everything you see, all this global unrest, even in the United States, we should get excited because Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? It's not a joke. Churches need to be serious about prophecy. Because it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. Prophecy and politics, they're colliding like a train wreck. We need to pay attention. But after these signs, here's what Jesus says in verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Those elect are those who have made Lord, Jesus Lord, and repented of their sins and been forgiven by his grace and mercy. Our trust is not in anything else. Not our power, our position, our possessions, only the presence of God in our life. So leading up to this second coming, there's going to be days of sorrow. I mean, think about it. God uses nature sometimes. He uses common occurrences. He uses earthquakes. He used this pandemic. And the enemy is trying to destroy the church through this pandemic. And those of you who are watching online, don't be part of the plan of the enemy. It says, forsake not the gathering together of the saints. We need to be together. The enemy doesn't want that. So leading up to the day of the Lord, he uses a lot of things. Why? To draw us closer to him so that he can show his mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace, and show us that he has a plan for our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes this, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let's continue in in Joel. The Lord says this in verse 12, chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Do you hear that again? Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. He doesn't want to. He's not like the big, mean grandfather with a huge ruler waiting to smack you upside the head. He loves you. He's drawing you with his love. He has compassion. He doesn't want to bring his wrath on your life. But you have a choice. You have a choice to make. You have to choose him and his ways. His ways and not the world's ways. Verse 18 describes the day of the Lord in eschatological terms, the end times. It refers to the repentance, that God will bring national restoration, but it also talks about the individual. I love this verse. Before I was married, my husband, I was talking to my husband, and I shared this with the prayer line. I felt so much regret for some of the things I did before I met the Lord, and he read this scripture, and this is what the Lord will do for you. I will repay you for the years the locust has eaten. The great locust, the young locust, the other locust, the swarming locust, my great army I sent among you, you will eat plenty until you're full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, and I am the Lord your God. Time can even be restored in your life. Spiritual blessings can be restored in your life. This is a prophetic future prophecy. It's not just talking about then. It's talking about now. It's not just talking about the Israelites. It's talking about you individually. And here's what Joel says. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire, billows of smoke. Again, look at this. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These are the signs of the times. And there's increasing intensity until the day of the Lord. Is he getting your attention? Are you listening? Are you hearkening? You hear him. He's speaking before his coming in the clouds and the rapture of the church when it's too late and you're subjected to the wrath of God. Will you choose him? Will you forsake your way? Because the terrible trumpet blast will come and the bowls will be poured out on anyone who is not in Christ. First Thessalonians says this, now brothers and sisters about the times and dates, I do, we do not need to write to you 
For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come when on them suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. A thief in the night doesn't announce when he's coming. And when those labor pains start, there's nothing you can do to stop them. They're coming. They're happening now, and the the contractions are getting closer and closer together. It's inevitable. Matthew 24, 8 says, all these are the beginnings of birth pangs. You still got time. But the suddenness, the inescapable nature of this day is true. Continuing in 2 Thessalonians, but you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since you belong to the day, be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope as salvation, as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. Whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. I pray the Holy Spirit will awaken you give you some spiritual espresso so that you'll be sober. These are the end times, friends. Look up. It says your salvation draws near. Just as Joel was alerting the people that judgment was imminent, his words speak to us, especially if it was near then. How much closer? What happened? There I am. So we see Joel. Does that mean I'm over my time? (laughs) Pastor Carlos, did you do that? (laughs) Joel 3, I'm going to close in in a minute, okay? God has reasons to be angry. He's, He's angry because his people are scattered, and he's angry because his land is divided. Joel 3 says this, Let the nations be aroused. Let them advance in the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will judge the nations on every side multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near. Are you in the valley of decision today? Are you excited to see his second coming or are you unsure? Do you feel like you may be those who are left behind because you haven't yet repented of your sins and confessed him as Lord? The day of the Lord is going to be a time of war, a time of uh, the stars are not even going to shine. It's a day where God, in his wrath, roaring from Zion, what a frightful sight, that he's going to declare, who's on my side? And he will separate the sheep from the goats. But there's a blessing that's coming to those. See, it isn't just God's wrath on his enemies. There's a day where God will restore his promise 
to Israel. There'll be a new Eden. It says fountain, a fountain will come forth from the house of the Lord. Just like Ezekiel saw this fountain come. This is the blessing, the day of blessing. Verse 18, in that day, the mountains will drip new wine. The hills will flow with milk. The ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. Today is your day. Today's the day of salvation. Second Corinthians says this. In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. He wants that relationship with you. Forsake the wicked. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, for he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will truly pardon them. So in summary, we know in Hosea, we saw God's faithfulness, his his love, despite the rebellion of the people. He says, return to me because your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. Or for in you, uh, the, the fatherless find compassion I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. And here's what he speaks to us. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who's discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. We saw Hosea offered two ways of living, either God's way or man's way. We saw how God loved despite their unfaithfulness. Just like Gomer was rescued from slavery, Jesus made a way for each one of us to receive that freedom through his blood. Will you come to him? And if you were and you've backslidden, will you return home to him? He's there with open arms. He's going to accept you and offer freedom. You could be a slave to God. Listen, in Ephesians 2, it says, but now in Christ, you were once far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Romans, it says, but now you have been set free from sin. You have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. With Joel, we saw it was a clear call that the day of the Lord will come, that judgment is sure to come, and political correctness isn't going to save you. You will not be able to stand before God and say, I believe this way because of this party or because of these laws. You're accountable for what God's law says. Your sin will be exposed. As Pastor Harold leads us in a soft uh, 
song, I want to call you. When every eye closed, every eye closed, I want you to speak to the Holy Spirit in your heart. And I want you to ask him to examine you. Examine me, Holy Spirit. Show me any wayward ways in my life. I don't want to play God. I don't want to trust in idols or anything that is not of you. I believe that you purchased my freedom. If there's anybody here who wants to be free, truly free from their sins, I want you to get out of your seat, stand up, get out of your seat, and come forward. There's no shame in that. Maybe you were here for a long time, but you're finally going to say, I'm not going to compromise like that yellow clay and blue clay and have a mixture that's not of you. I want to forsake all those things that are not your ways. I've been exposed to the culture and tempted by so many things that are not okay. Will you receive him today? Will you stand to your feet? And those of you who are watching at home, if what you heard today, thank you for standing. If you, what you heard today touched your heart and you want to renew your commitment to him, he has his arms opened wide to receive you. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I pray for every person in this room. Thank you, Lord, for touching their hearts. Lord, that they truly live a consecrated life, surrendered to you, not compromising in any way in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.